Hello, this is Keith Larson, editor of Control Magazine and ControlGlobal.com. Welcome to this episode of our Control Amplified podcast. With me today is John Dyke, CEO of the Smart Manufacturing Institute, or SESME, a public-private partnership committed to transforming the U.S. manufacturing market and increasing global competitiveness through the application of smart manufacturing technologies. We're here to talk today about the, some of the persistent roadblocks to digital transformation that exist today, especially for small to mid-sized companies and how Sesame is aiming to help eliminate them, democratizing digital transformation in the process. Welcome, John. It's a real pleasure to have you here today. Yeah. Hi, Keith. Thanks for having me. It's, a, it's an honor to be with you today. Great, great. Maybe to start out, for those of our listeners who may be unfamiliar with Sesame, the Smart Manufacturing Institute, can you maybe review for us how the organization was founded and how its current mission to accelerate the democratization of smart manufacturing came about? Yeah, sounds sounds good. Um, so Manufacturing USA is an organization founded a number of years ago to create uh, a number of institutes funded as private-public partnerships, as you pointed out, to focus on specific elements of manufacturing to create a more competitive and a more effective manufacturing environment here in the U.S. SESME was one of those institutes founded uh, roughly three years ago to focus on smart manufacturing, to, to take the ideas, the challenges, the research, the innovation, and figure out how to leverage these ideas, the ideas behind digital transformation, Industry 4.0, and create an environment where smart manufacturing is manufacturing by 2030. This is an audacious goal. It's, an, it's a noble goal, and I think uh, has the potential, if we can succeed, and we believe we can, to transform the face of manufacturing here in the U.S. So we were founded, as I said, just about Three years ago, by the Department of Energy, we have $140 million over the course of five years to invest in ways to transform this industry, to find existing technologies that need to be advanced, to find new technologies where they don't exist to create them and bring them to the marketplace. It's about knowledge. It's about training. It's about workforce development. And not least of all, it's about trying to create a way for an ecosystem that's steeped in doing things the way they have for many, many years, several decades, as a matter of fact, and create a new way for them to innovate and to transform their business models as well. So when I got here a little over two and a half years ago, we began looking at the challenges and the opportunities faced by manufacturers here in the U.S. And that included a deep look at the, the business models that spell success or failure for them, for the manufacturers, for the, the vendors in the space, the machine builders, the uh, academic organizations that are focused on manufacturing, systems integrators, implementers. We took a step back to say, what are the real challenges faced by manufacturing, by this ecosystem? And what are the business models that they rely on today to make money? And how can we figure out collectively to move that ecosystem forward? And to adopt some of these new ideas and to leverage some, some much more collaborative and innovative ways to build and implement digital transformation solutions. Um, we concluded that we're still firmly stuck in the third industrial revolution. We've been <laughs> talking about the fourth industrial revolution for a number of years. But frankly, and, and I think any thoughtful look at this would have you conclude the same thing, right? It doesn't. 
just because we've identified Industry 4.0 or the fourth industrial revolution doesn't mean that we can flip a switch and automatically just get there. So, so we believe it's essential for all manufacturers to be able to engage in digital transformation technologies and capabilities, initiatives. It's important for the large manufacturers as well, not that they don't have deep pockets and can't afford to do this, but they've been struggling mm-hmm. for, for four decades now to, to implement these systems that are too costly and too complex even today. And so imagine, put, put yourself in the shoes of a small medium manufacturer um, who, who really has been left behind. The, the, the entire ecosystem is focused on a manufacturer that has many sites so that you can you can find, identify, sell to, and then deploy a solution in many sites, not just one. So in our analysis, nothing on the horizon is actually on a trajectory to change that. That's where we uh, came up with our mission to truly, truly focus on the democratization of smart manufacturing and to accelerate the democratization over the course of the next few years. What does democratization mean? It, it, it's, it's really the idea of making, reducing cost and complexity of technologies and making them accessible for the masses. We believe that the, this transition to the fourth industrial revolution will be characterized, among other ways, by democratization as an essential outcome. So we've reorganized our entire effort and our roadmap and our membership model and our investments around this idea of democratization. Gotcha. Yeah, it certainly seems like uh, if we're going to move to the fourth industrial revolution, there needs to be kind of the, we're still operate, operating in a more, I don't know, proprietary, non-collaborative um, solution set for the most part. We, we talk a lot about collaboration and open ecosystems, but we're not anywhere near, say, the, the IT industry is in terms of, 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 of doing more collaborative um, integration, you know, standards making and integration. So I think there's a long way, a long ways to go yet. And it's good to hear you're behind it. Yeah, Keith, I think you you just stated that perfectly. I think I think the IT ecosystem mm-hmm. figured this out probably 15 years ago, and they have been collaborating to to solve big problems and to work in an open source and in many ways, much more collaborative way to to drive the industry forward and and we haven't each each vendor is still very much stuck in the in the role where and and understandably they this is how they've been making money stuck in the role where um they do everything for themselves and uh, giving up what they perceive as competitive advantage is not in their best interest but uh i think we have the opportunity to to change the way they see that and actually bring them forward into a much more collaborative and democratized environment and I think, you know, a lot of the conversations around um, Industry 4.0 and the industrial IT was really that the technologies required to connect and integrate these former silos of manufacturing information had become increasingly capable and affordable. But a lot of companies have continued to struggle, even big ones, <laughs> not just the small and mid-sized ones. Why is that and what really stands in their in their way? Great question, because that, that speaks to the heart of the challenges faced in this ecosystem, and 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 it's a nuanced issue, right? To your point, we have seen a lot of great vendors innovating. We've got we've got the cloud now, which has dramatically reduced the barrier of entry for for certain types of technology. We've got augmented reality. We've got 
AI and machine learning tools available and accessible. So, so in many ways, we do have a new landscape of technologies that's available to us. But fundamentally, the level of interoperability between applications, you, you talked about silos and the fact that, you know, with connectivity perhaps being more ubiquitous and low cost, we don't have interoperability. We still have 100% vendor lock-in. There is no application or data interoperability. Every Im implementer sits down in front of their technology stack, regardless of who the vendor is, and builds everything from scratch every single time. There's no portability of any elements of that solution, the data models, the data structures, the templates for mm -hmm. how to extract data from, from a device or from an asset, and certainly not the application itself. There's no portability, and, and that means lack of standards, right? Whether it's cause or effect, you, you sort of wonder sometimes, but there are no standards. And all of this leads back to the fact that we're still using these new technologies in the industry 3.0, third industrial revolution kind of way. The hallmark of industry 4.0 or smart manufacturing capable solution is interoperability, is openness, is secure. We will talk about these um, smart manufacturing first principles aggressively in the marketplace. The notion that these applications have to generate interoperability, have to be built from the ground roots as being capable of sharing data, capable of portability from one technology stack to another. And that's uh, that's where we've got to go. What steps is SESME taking from a tangible standpoint? I know a little bit about um, the, the database model, cloud-based database model that you're trying to build. Can you maybe elaborate on that a little bit more? Yeah. So first of all, this is an ecosystem challenge. Vendors do what they're paid to do. We all have, I guess we're all coin operated in our own ways. So so the vendors, the implementers, the machine builders, the manufacturers do what they're paid to do. And so, so, so we have this ecosystem challenge and there's no single vendor that can actually create the disruption required to drive the ecosystem forward. In fact, comes back down to motivation. So so from our standpoint, it's engaging the ecosystem at scale, engaging great thinkers, great representatives from each of these stakeholder groups, the manufacturers, the machine builders, the vendors, the systems implementers, systems integrators, and of course, academia. So, so bringing the ecosystem together is the start. And then, as I said, we have the funds, not just to write about or pontificate about these ideas, but to actually invest in and fund the creation of new technologies to accomplish our objective. Right? So we have the ecosystem to help us make sure we understand the right problems and think about solutions in the right ways. Then we have the funds to create and promote and deploy these systems. And then there's the idea of educating the marketplace. Today, because of the, um, I'll say, the state of the industry and the fact that there is no single center of gravity for these ideas, every vendor is stuck educating the marketplace. And, and they don't want to do that. That's costly and it takes time. Mm -hmm. And and bottom line is, unless they create a more educated marketplace, their marketplace will essentially step further and further away from where they are. So educating the marketplace is a key hallmark or a key uh, part of what we believe we have to accomplish here for the industry. Whether it's the community college students, whether it's a four-year academic program college students, 
whether it's the practitioners, the implementers, the systems integrators, or whether it's the executives that have to justify these systems and understand where the value comes from, right? So, so there's a there's an important element of educating the marketplace to understand every facet of the life cycle of digital transformation or smart manufacturing. And then last but not least, to your earlier point, the the proprietary behaviors, the the sort of I've got to do this myself because that's the way I've always done it. That's gotta that's gotta move forward as well. So what we believe we're uh, focused on here as well is this environment where real innovation can happen, where different parts of the ecosystem can get together and solve legacy challenge using new ideas and new technologies. And also where new ideas can be quickly tested. One of our great manufacturing members, Procter & Gamble, has made it clear to us that what they call innovation triage is an essential for digital transformation at scale for the industry, for themselves and, and clearly for, for the broader industry. And that means that we've got to be able to figure out how to both quickly and cost-effectively try something new, mm -hmm. a new vendor together with this set of sensors or this set of control systems and this set of robots or ATVs, this set of tools, mm -hmm. AI, machine learning, stand it up quickly, try it out and either fail quickly mm -hmm. or succeed quickly and then scale up, right? So, so that, that this environment where innovation can happen quickly and cost effectively and then move on. And don't get lost in pilot purgatory. <laughs> That's the term. Pilot purgatory. Yeah. We, we, but we, we talk all the time about the fact that innovation is really not the problem. American manufacturers have been innovative for hundreds of years. Keith, you've been around as long as I have. We've been talking about islands of automation, then islands of information. I think for the last decade, we've been building islands of innovation. We, we deploy lots of smart people and great vendor solutions and, and domain experts to a problem. We, we solve it. Everybody gets excited. And then we can't scale it because we never paid attention to these foundational elements of interoperability and scalability and security. So, so you're exactly right. Um, we're, we're driving innovation itself is driving pilot purgatory, which is a terrible place to be. Yeah. You, you talked about um, how not just the education, but also actually innovating new technologies. Uh, I was reading a bit on the the smart manufacturing innovation platform that is is, is a piece of, of technology, not just a, a communications platform or a marketing method. Can you tell us a little bit more about the, the innovation platform and what it what it is and how it works? Yeah. So so when I talked before about but um, not just writing about things and not just creating great guidance and best practices, which are which are vital and which are all good and, and important. We believe that to, to drive this ecosystem forward, we need to um, actually fill some of the gaps and create some technologies that individually the, the vendors that are serving this space don't have incentive to do. Mm -hmm. But if they're created, they will be able to benefit from them. And that's, and that's at the heart of this notion of our smart manufacturing innovation platform. And under the, under the umbrella of innovation platform, we have this, this actual implementation of our smart manufacturing specification, which are open specifications that uh, we've written as an ecosystem and have made available for the public to, to use and implement for their purposes. So we actually have a data ingestion and contextualization platform for 
vendors for for application vendors and for manufacturers and for integrators to use as they choose to but but the most important component in all of that is this notion of sourcing domain expertise creating a standard way to create a an object definition a class definition for any individual asset whether it's a sensor a piece of equipment or a process mm-hmm. create a, a standard class definition for that asset in terms of defining what I need from that asset, what kind of data I need from that asset to create a desired outcome, whether it's performance, whether it's asset management, whether it's to build a predictive model for failure, for maintenance, whatever the desired outcome is, we need a way, we need the tools, we believe, to let someone, some domain expert, whether it's the machine builder that created that robot or that paper converting machine or whatever, or it's the systems integrator that's implemented a dozen of them. You take that domain expert, give them the tools to take what they know about how to extract important content, important data from that asset, and digitize it in a way that abstracts it from any individual vendor platform, put it in our marketplace, and now a thousand other manufacturers that have that class of equipment can go to our marketplace, create their instance or download their instance of that profile, and it automatically knows how to connect to and extract exactly the right data from that asset. Now, what that means is for anybody that's developing applications, they can they can rely on this profile and the essentially the API, a GraphQL-based API that can assemble all the different profiles that are part of that manufacturing system and develop the application against that API, not against the control layer or the automation below it. And, and so all of a sudden you've got portability of asset data collection, contextualization details, and you also have the portability of the applications layered on top of that. And so whether you're developing applications or whether you're implementing them, um, you, you now have tools to do so regardless of whose vendor you choose, because the same profiles will work in any different vendor's ecosystem or environment that chooses to engage with us here at SESB. That makes a lot of sense. I understand you're working with the OPC Foundation, which is a, a, a tool that obviously is used for building those kind of models. And they've obviously got quite a few people signed on, I think more than 800 companies last, last I checked. So certainly seems to be a lot of momentum behind using that pool for those kind of semantic models going forward. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. The expression of those information models in a standardized way and then making them available in a standardized way. So we've, as you've alluded to, we've begun working with the OPC Foundation. We've created a joint working group with them to develop that standard for how these profiles or, or data templates can can be created and how they can be made accessible in a standardized way for any vendor that chooses to to leverage them. And that's a really, really important work. Talk about driving critical mass for the industry and driving the adoption of what we hope will become a de facto standard. Standards in this industry, as you know, Keith, are hard to come by. We got lots. Whatever reason. <laughs> we got we lots. Got lots. Yeah, exactly. They're great. We got, we got all kinds of them, right? So so it's, you're, you're exactly right. It's a, it's, a, it's a tough environment for standards, but we believe that the adoption of these ideas through our funding and through great partners like OPC Foundation and 
even um, uh, spark plug on the MQTT side. We can we can drive these ideas forward as a broad ecosystem and accelerate the adoption of them that way. Yeah, a lot a lot of the the tenants that that are behind uh, Sesame remind me a lot of what the open process automation forum is doing on the, on the process industry side. More of the DCS companies, the process manufacturing side, they've got their own um, OPAS connectivity framework that sounds a little bit like the the innovation platform in terms of a standard. How is it similar to what what you're doing with with Sesame and and um, and the innovation platform, or maybe different? But interoperability is obviously a core thing for them as well. So maybe talk yeah. about how you're you're like or or different from what they're doing. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. In fact, ExxonMobil is one of the founding members of the Open Process Automation Forum, and they're a, a great member of ours here uh, for the same reasons, for the reason you just articulated, right? Openness, interoperability, reducing cost and complexity um, of the technologies and of the of the sort of accessibility of these these capabilities across the ecosystem. That's central to OPATH and central to our success. And and really, I think we're, we're, we're now, we're just now beginning to um, define those synergies between SESME's approach um, and the open process automation forum. But they're built on the premise that a similar set of premises where the open process automation forum is, is focused on interoperability at the automation and controls layer and process related software solutions. We, we believe we can bolt on in a very synergistic way with, with our information models to complement their control and automation models. So in, in many ways, we can leverage the work that both organizations are doing to extend our efforts in, in the direction that, uh, that each organization is focused on. Because like I said, their relentless focus is on interoperability at the control systems layer and the SCADA layer. We're very much sort of the complement to that on the information side. So a little more on the MES level of where you are versus more Real-time deterministic kind of things at, at a lower level. That's, that makes that's exactly. Uh, if we're if we're looking at sort of the traditional Purdue model, it would be typically level three and above. So yeah, uh, whatever the, the the software capability or whatever the uh, market capability you would put in that level three to level four space, that's that's pretty much where where I think most smart manufacturing, most digital transformation efforts are are focused. No, that makes sense. What do you think it's going to take to get some of the the large companies, the Rockwells and the Emersons of the world, where you know may not have that much to gain from a business perspective? How, how did that? How do you get them to move on to this more collaborative type of platform? Is that um, what? Do you, what are your thoughts in terms of to get the some of the market leaders from a vendor perspective to pursue a more open and interoperable platform? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we're, we're, we're proud to say that many of the, the big vendors are here and, and we're seeing, uh, that accelerate the adoption of, of SESME ideas and, and technologies accelerate, including great vendors like Emerson and, uh, Honeywell and Aspen Tech, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, but, but it comes down to something we touched on before, Keith, the notion that they're coin operated. And, and, and they're responsible to the shareholders for being coin operated, right? Yeah. And so the, the onus is on us to be able to demonstrate to them that the rising tide truly does float all boats. It's not just that we're creating an environment for that'll make the manufacturers better by reducing the cost and complexity of, 
deploying technologies, which makes it more accessible, mm -hmm. you know, smaller, smaller plants and global rollouts and, and so on and so forth. It has to be better for the vendors. It has to be better for the implementers and for the machine builders. So it's incumbent upon us to demonstrate that we're not here to compete with them. We're not a competitor. We'll be successful when, as I said, the entire ecosystem improves and when we've actually demonstrated that we're able to reduce the cost of acquisition, the cost of ownership, and the cost of, um, in, in fact, cost of ownership across the entire life cycle of an application's existence and so, or of a digital transformation initiative. So, so frankly, that is what we're focused on right now. We've, we've been bringing the ecosystem together. We have, we have great manufacturers here, like, as I alluded to, um, Procter and Gamble and ExxonMobil and General Mills and ConAgra and Johnson and Johnson and, and, um, Corning and, and many others. They're here helping us ensure that we're doing the right things. But we also have dozens of some of the great vendors here. One of the more recent ones being inductive automation aligned around these ideas, right? Mm -hmm. And as, as I mentioned, some of the larger vendors, historic vendors just a moment ago mm -hmm. and machine builders and academia, right? So, so this is about driving critical mass in an industry that's been doing things in a specific way for decades, but we're also using this eco, this rapidly growing ecosystem of members here at SESME to provide and demonstrate the incentives for their vendor partners, for their vendor integrators to come alongside and be part of this. Because as we all know, the, 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 the disruption that happens when you transition from the third industrial revolution to the fourth, as it did for the first to the second and second to the third will be will be disruptive and will leave those that refuse to adapt and to change and to grow will leave them behind and so we we believe we have an opportunity to demonstrate that there's value here for them and and that's going to be a very practical test at the end of the day mm -hmm. um, will will this drive the accelerated deployment of solutions for the vendor Will this enable a systems integrator to make more money? Will this allow a manufacturer to deploy more systems in a more standardized way and reduce their cost of ownership across many years for these systems? And that's that's the that's the ultimate test for for SESME, and that's how we will measure our success. Yeah, it certainly seems like potential to be a, a rising tide for for all those boats. That's for sure. Yeah, you bet. If somebody, if one of our listeners, if either from the end user side, engineering firm side, or or from the um, aspect of even the solution providers, they want to get more involved and learn more about what you're doing with the innovation platform and, and what's behind Sesame or even joining the organization, what are recommended next steps for them if they want to learn more and get involved? Yeah. So first of all, Membership here at SESME, we're a private public partnership, which means that we're a membership-based organization. Um, we have a tremendous, we represent tremendous value for each of those different sets of stakeholders that I've just articulated. And, and we can have this conversation with you very directly about what this means for you, what the value is of you as a stakeholder in this process, in this transformation truly is. So if you come to our website, sesmi.org, C-E-S-M-I-I.org, look for 
what it means to be a member. It's not it's not going to break the bank for you to join us here. Uh, we we have great opportunities to provide project grants and funding for our members, and that's a big part of how we drive return on investment. Uh, very creative, and I think very thoughtful ways to allow us to fund your innovation, allow us to fund the deployment of your technologies in a manufacturing setting that you may not have had access to otherwise. And as as I mentioned before, this whole notion of rapid innovation through innovation triage, all of that is what we can fund here through the funding that we bring to the marketplace mm-hmm. and driving this industry forward using these ways. So visit us at sesme.org, uh, request a contact from us, and we'll be very quick and, and very eager to have this conversation with you and help you understand what it means to join us here as part of this movement. Great. Well, I certainly uh, wish you all the luck in, in bringing this uh, this forward. And obviously, we'll try to do our, our part in spreading the word out, out to our readership as well. So thank you very much, John, for sharing your insights with us today. Thank you, Keith. We appreciate the ability to partner with you and your organization in this way. It's a It's a privilege to be on this journey with you and and, uh, uh, work with you to drive this ecosystem forward. We are all together in this, aren't we? Uh, For those of you listening, thanks thanks to you all for tuning in. Again, I'm Keith Larson, and you've been listening to a Control Amplified podcast. Thanks for joining us. And if you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe at the iTunes store and at Google Podcasts. Plus, you can find the full archive of past episodes at controlglobal.com. Signing off until next time. Take care.